your education is indoctrination for big agendas which you're unaware of. Absolutely. And you certainly don't want to end up being part of the swarm on the street. You pick on the weakest person, an old person or something. Somebody jumps on them and then, then you'll see them swarming like a, like a, like a hive. Woof. Kicking in the boot and the whole thing. Very, very brave people, man. It's, that's what the, that's what the crowd does. The crowd is not something, there's no sanity. It's a primal, primitive thing that takes over in the crowd. I mentioned it too in last week's, well, I was on, uh, with Neil uh, last Wednesday, I think it was, from um, the Irish Sentinel. And they, they got hacked big time. And the streaming got cut short because it didn't stream at all, in fact. Uh, and I uh, luckily I managed to, to record at my end and, and eventually put it up. It took a lot of work because I used a, an old, old system I hadn't used for a, a few years to do the recording. So it wasn't the cleanest. But, but yeah, I've had the same problem in my computer systems too. If you speak out about what's happening today, you're hammered. Even my, my internet provider it hammers me and, and throttles me and chokes me off absolutely until literally, um, you, when you're at stalling speed, where your, when your internet should cut out altogether, it, 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 it crawls. It's worse actually at times than dial up. And, uh, and when you phone, there's no point phoning them up, they'll give you the runaround, but they've been told to do it, of course they are, you know. You don't speak, you can't speak your mind up to date. There's no freedom of speech. You're under a totalitarian system. And if you look at even uh, the event 201, uh, they came out with the, with the, the, the warm-up. <laughs> and the one even two years before it, they had two. Uh, the warm-up to the present so-called pandemic with the same players that were attended at the Johns Hopkins uh, rehearsal, you might say, dress rehearsal, they said they would attack folk eventually, they would, wouldn't shut up, and were trying to say something else to the general public. They, 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 they went through the scenarios of even having false news out there two years before it happened. All prepared for it. Here's, the, here's how we treat them all. And then they'll, then they'll block off your money, your income. Then they'll block off your, your, your ability to talk to the public. Silence you. And you've, you've seen it all happen to lots of people. I get the same kind. I've had the same thing here for years before the, the pandemic. But that's what happens. You don't live in a free society. At all, you know. <laughs> You'll be left alone if you're just watching pornography and stuff that they want you to watch and do and do things that they want you to do. Come on, no problem. Your problem, you're safe then. I can remember, <laughs> again years ago, an old, um, an old preacher in the States, and, and he used to come out, he's got a character, you know, uh, very few characters amongst them, they're all rather like peace in a pod, but he was a real character. And he said, you know, he says, he says Satan, I'll leave you alone, he says, if you're just one of the crowd and doing, doing, you know, like everybody else. He says, only when you start to see there's something really evil with the system that, that, you'll start to get problems. That's pretty well how it is, isn't it? You're left alone if you're one of his own, as they say. <laughs> but if you if you try to break away, then now you're a target because you're, you're, you're beginning to see, you know. You're beginning to see. As I said before, too, that, and I mentioned it last Wednesday doing that talk, that eventually I put it myself for the, the Irish Central 
but the, 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 the absolute comparison of a psychopath with, with demonology. And I have no problems uh, talking about demonology. I don't care who poo-poos it. It's like everything else. You can poo-poo everything unless you've maybe experienced it <laughs> at kind of close range at times. So who cares who poo-poos it and wants it or scientific? Look at the incredible deception you're under right now with science. <laughs> you're going to parrot that all day long, eh? Oh, they said get COVID's real and we're all going to die if you don't take a shot, you know? And you watch cops beating up folk and strangling folk because they won't put a mask on and some... I'll put some of these clips up too at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Quite a few little clips. I don't use YouTube too much. I can't get any speed because I'm getting so heavily choked. But I get little bits sent to me and so on. So I'll put them up. And even one from a doctor, another, another doctor woman who's pretty good. She's straightforward and she's talking about... I guess her name is Majez. I'll put her up, one up as well, but but I have no problem talking about demonology. And and I mentioned that Malachi Martin was one example. It's so paradoxical, really, isn't it? How at one point he definitely was paid, and he was paid by a group inside the U.S. to really build up. Um, Ammunition for an enemy of Vatican II who wanted to use it for their own agenda. And he, he was in the payroll and he, he wrote something about uh, under different names, Brother Seraphim, he, he published a book and hit his own church and it was used against the church and the church never recovered. I don't see the church was ever, ever perfect. The church, like every system, became corrupt long ago. Long ago. Doesn't mean it all became corrupt. But we know for even during the communist years in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, during the American Un-American Activities Commissions that they had, uh, they, they found a woman, I remember talking about her years ago, and uh, she admitted that her, her job as a communist organizer was also a selector. She selected people for different, different um, projects inside America. They put them into politics, naturally, but they also had other ones to, to go into the priesthood. And she was pick, particular, picking particular ones that had certain persuasions to go into the priesthood. And that, that did come out, by the way. This is not happenstance or hearsay. This is, this is you can actually look it up and read, read the, the actual the inquiries about it at the time. And she put hundreds of people into the priesthood. They shouldn't have been there. They end up having their cabals. They're still affecting <laughs> the reputation of the Catholic Church to this day. They're really, you know. But again, Mark M. Martin, as I say, he, he also talked about the CIA. You can see an old documentary by, uh, when he was on as a guest, uh, being interviewed by William Buckley Jr. Now, William Buckley Jr. was admitted after he died, that he was also in the CIA, like many folk in the media. But in the actual interview, uh, Malachi Martin talked about the CIA being awfully... He talked about the same thing when he was on the Art Bell show, that, that the CIA used lots of uh, priests' as intelligence sources because they were across the whole planet into countries that were also communist and enemies and so on. So I'm pretty sure Malachi Martin was, was well, well involved in that too. So he's a guy who eventually, as a Jesuit, ends up doing what many Jesuits have done, which was damage the church 
in, in one big way, ends up writing books about possession and demons and demonology. Awfully good book to read, by the way, even for, if you, even if it's just psychology they're into, you can certainly get a lot from it. But you can get, um, hostage to the devil. Awfully good graphic observations and interpretations of mental states at the very, very least, right? And behavior. Which can all, all of course, psychiatrists have put down as mental illness to the bitter end. It wouldn't make it matter what happened. <laughs> be the bitter end. It'd be mental illness to some kind or another. And, uh, but you, you, the other side of it too is, is a derangement by other, other forces. But when you put them down side by side, the, the, the possession, like perfect possession, is one category of possession, which is where a person is completely at, at home with, with the spirit or entity that's within, is in them. They're content and they can work well together. Uh, the problems in, in standard classical demonology is where a person fights, still, is still fighting and not completely taken over by the entity that's in them. And there's a bit of resistance still there. Their indefinite anxiety all the time, uh, maybe erratic behavior of all kinds in the process too. Often similar to the old bipolar or manic depressive disorders as well. That's very similar. Sometimes. Uh, but odd, odd behaviors always, you see. But when a person has deliberately taken an entity, an entity on board and sought it out, it's a different kettle of fish. And when you have an elite, not all of them, I mean, who knows, but, but if you have an elite group, that literally, maybe intergenerationally, have, have taken these things on board. Definitely, uh, they, they put out suggestions that some of the, the organizations they're into uh, through this, the last century and a half, uh, in, in occultic sort of sense, with it, or even in the last couple of hundred years, in fact, or more, some, some branches, especially French Freemasonry, they had some uh, branches within there, and in London, of course, with the Hellfire Club. You definitely had uh, this idea of, of eugenics, number one, of selective breeding, special breeding, uh, mating for different purposes than just being horny, <laughs> put that way. Uh, but, but they actually create a, a type of a child, you, you find it going way, way back even to John Dee and the magical child that was eventually repeated and repeated all the way up to Crowley. So, so you're looking at something a bit different from that, from the usual uh, horror movie interpretation of it. So eugenics is definitely involved in it to an extent. When the Hellfire Club, like some of the, the, the top Masonic groups in, in Britain, had brothels attached to them, not any old brothel, it was just for certain members. And some of them were selected because, and they're called dollies, the dolly is a, a, a carrier, a dolly, just like a, you, you, the, anything that you push to carry luggage on is a carrier. They carried the genes, particular genes of, of higher families and so on. And part of the, the upper 
admission into some of the groups, and I'm not making this stuff up, this is from their old books and so on, was that you would be given permission to mate with, with a particular one until she was pregnant, and then she would have an offspring, you see. And the, the, from one of these dollies, the carriers of the, of the, the right kind of genes, you know. And um, I could go on, on about that because it's an interesting field of eugenics. And, and we also know, too, that Charles Darwin um, was the offspring between the Darwin family and the Wedgwood family because they'd, they'd been doing it already for a few generations and after him, too, still doing it. Just intermarrying with the same one family for special genetic uh, breeding of, of, of what they claim is a better trace. Make them, make them special. That, that continued right up into the, the 20th century, and I'm sure it still happens today with certain groups of them. And that's documented. It's not, it's not conspiracy at all. It's just documented history. Uh, and when he's, I think when he's, um, when he's, when his wife died, he, I think he married, it was his mother's sister or something. It was something, it was really real, real in breeding for sure. And it's often thought that's part of the problem with the Darwins because they, uh, they end up having tremendous headaches as it was hereditary. And then when they, when they cross-matched into the Huxley family as well later on, uh, which they did, uh, and intermarry eventually that way, uh, a lot of them had tremendous headaches and they were bedridden with and depressions, you know. So these were hereditary traits that would be passed on, you see, more so within breeding. So, yeah, yeah, you have that. But now, supposing you've got another level, though, where you, where you want uh, to bring in the spirit, just like the ancient Egyptians talked about, too, the opening of the mouth ceremony and so on, where you could, they, they, they believed that it was a strange way of looking at things. It wasn't just reincarnation. It was, it was, um, transmigration of souls. Where if a father died, the Pharaoh, and the son was nowhere near, he was off in a different province, maybe examining the province or something like that on some business. Then they couldn't just have, there had to be a proximity factor to, to transfer the spirit to the Pharaoh. One of, one of the, the parts, they had a five part soul, you see. One of the main parts, they put it into the son. And so they could they'd go through a ceremony, an elaborate ceremony where they would say that they could store it in the mouth, you see, the opening of the mouth ceremony, in a statue, and then do the same thing, and then transfer it to the son when he got home. Uh, like, a, like a safe, put in a safe <laughs> for a little while. And uh, they had very elaborate ceremonies about all these kinds. Of, it was very important to them anyway, because they had so many different parts of spirit and soul in Egypt. But that... Became kind of pop. This idea really fascinated people in the 1800s, and uh, and they got into it. Some of the different occultic groups, and we know too that um, Yeats and different people were heavily involved in the occults uh, in their time as well. And much of the poetry, in fact, was put it was put out was actually ceremonies for those who don't know it. You know, it's quite interesting when you when you can actually understand what they're about. But anyway, the idea was to, to bring something more important than you into, into your body. That's what Alistair Crowley was in. And he had a big following, remember? And lots of aristocracy were involved in it at that level too. And the artistic community as usual as well were involved in it. It didn't quite die off. And then they had a revival um, in the late 1800s with theosophy that, that tried to bring more and more and more of it and blend it with, with India.
But there's almost that element of the, of the higher groups that, that go through elaborate ceremonies, even today, to bring a, a higher entity into, into some, some people. Remember, there's branches of masonry that are, they're probably atheistic as well. Remember that as well. Yeah? But for the occultic groups, the, 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 certain ones went all the way. Often as an excuse perhaps for free sex as well and all the rest of it, but, but some of them still believed that there was a higher, that these were entities of superior beings they could bring into themselves or people who lived long, long before them. And some of the groups saw these entities as gods, ancient gods, you see. And uh, it wasn't a unique idea at all. It's, it flourished in ancient times in the Middle East and even in ancient Hebrew. Uh, in Judaism, early Judaism too, they had this idea, a different view on uh, good and bad, right and wrong, as they have today is different again, different changes. But when Judaism took on Kabbalism and really pushed it, the early ones uh, saw these entities um, that could be used. Today, in Christianity, you look upon things as demons. But um, in Judaism, there were entities that you could call down if you knew their names. Again, it's very Egyptian in a way as well, or taken from Egypt and, and other areas around that area. Even previous to Egypt, in fact, I'm sure. Many, many thousands of years old, these ideas were proliferated and were copied by different cultures done through time. But the idea was that, that especially when you, when you worship people as gods, like pharaohs, and it was unthinkable often for the people to believe that the pharaoh's body died, so therefore what was in him, this powerful being inside him, the spirit, was dead too, so they would, they would say that, uh, they would think it went on, as he could, could even transfer to the son of the pharaoh. And therefore they were looked upon as gods. Immortal gods, even if the, if one body died, they'd have another one to enter into. So you're into the same area as demonology. And as I say, John Dee was really into this. He, he learned the, the Kabbalah and, and Hebrew. He was a real devotee. And uh, the idea was to, to call down these entities and use them. And not to be afraid of them, you see. With the idea that you could do that, if you knew the right, almost code words, passwords like computers, <laughs> you could make them do your bidding. That was the idea. That's the idea behind all magic. And of course, Alistair Crowley took the same idea that he, he didn't invent, and and pushed it too into into more into a more real practice, physical practice into into his little society they had around him. Uh, and that that's continued up until they had a big explosion again with the new age, as they call it, new age, in the 1960s onwards with the with the hippies. They introduced all this stuff again, uh, and again the theosophy idea of blending spirit with science, which Blavatsky boasted about. That was their goal. Odd, odd thing to say, isn't it? Until and it struck me when I was looking at the. Again, the World Trade Organization and the World Economic Forum. They're all the same members, by the way, that, that, that run all these things. Uh, and again, reimagining humanity.
And in it, of course, they have the whole idea of life extension, which they do have today. They've had it for quite a while. But uh, I remember watching a little clip that someone sent me, and it was from Israel. And it was someone, uh, it was a scientist, a well-known scientist over there, in a, in a general talk. And there's a lot of people coming into the room as he's starting his talk, and they were, they were kind of uh, <laughs> yapping away as the man was trying to speak. But he said quite casually there, he says, of course, you know that, that if, if you've got a spare seven million dollars that you to spend, he says, we can keep you alive till you're 140 today. That's what he said. So, so nonchalantly too, you know. No, he didn't elaborate and say it's with, with, with just lots of transplants and so on. It would entail a lot more than that, I'm sure. But it, it can be done. And I remember years ago too, I think it was David Suzuki mentioned it too in one of his, his TV talks when he was on about, um, the same guy who, <laughs> who compared humanity's levels of parasites or really, um, living off, off the dung of the ones above them. That's why we said it to your students, eh? The dropping of, of the ones above them as we classified society. You know, he, he mentioned too that uh, one, at one time that they could pretty well stop the time gene, the clock, and, and the gene, the genetic structure, and telomeres and so on. At that time, that was years ago, if they wanted to. And I'm sure many folk have had it. We know that old man Rockefeller died when he died there a few years ago. I think he was 103. That uh, he was still giving talks and traveling the world up until the end. You know? He didn't seem to have the old age illnesses like arthritis or stone deaf or blind or whatever. And he was able to stand and give his talks. I think it did come out. He did a few uh, heart transplants, maybe three of them or four. Who knows? But uh, I'm sure there are a lot more to, to it than that because they don't come down if you notice with senility either. Eh? Their arteries are cleaned out, to clean, and and the blood flow is good, etc. Anyway, that's a whole a whole different parcel of area to itself. But the thing is. This drive for immortality, and don't think I'm getting off the topic with demonology, the drive for immortality, as I, as I mentioned on that last Wednesday's show, Neil Foster and Reality Bites Radio, was that a demon, a demon is a bodiless entity. It, it, it has, they can't experience anything unless it's inside a physical body. And then you have a whole range of senses that come into play in a physical body. That's heaven to a demon, you see. Otherwise, it's like an, it's like an enclosed off. It's like something floating in, in the, the blankness of space. In its, living in its own mind. But if you put a demon into a body, then suddenly all this, all this, this one, the wonders of sensation and experience comes into play. And therefore they don't want to leave it. Or if they leave it, or if they've killed it, if the host, if the host is fighting and they kill it, uh, then they want to move into another one immediately. So heaven to a demon is the physical world. For, for, for people who live in the physical world, their heaven is away from the physical world. It's the opposite. Which is interesting to me in a way. I said, have Jesus say in the New Testament, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah. So, 
a whole religion is based on a different world for a spirit to go to, you see. But a demon wants the opposite. It comes from another world, another realm, and wants to exist permanently here. Well, look at the elite and look at the drive, using all your tax money for, for experimentation for, for the last couple of hundred years, at least big time, for life extension for themselves. Right down to, to possible, uh, not, not just even creating clones for each other, that, that's been a big drive for a long time. Oh my God, they said in the 90s, we could probably create clones for ourselves and just keep them for body parts. This is how they explained it to the public. They had big pushes on this, by the way. And don't think for, that they had never done it. Laws, the laws that you, they're not, they don't go by the laws they give for, for you, you know. They have, they have authorized institutions for themselves way above all of this. And then you had movies like The Island to do with them, even cloning body parts, getting, you know, I'm sure they're a good chuckle at all that kind of thing. And not to be confused with the, with, with the, there's other old, old movies called The Island. It's a different thing that was from, from, um, Dr. Moreau's, uh, Island, you know, the, 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 an old idea of, of experimentation. It was H.G. Wells did it too. They owned off Dr. Moreau. So anyway, a demon wants to live forever in this world. You look at the elite and the drive they have to live permanently and stop the time clock in this world. They had, they've had so many articles out and, and, and their books as well, not just magazines and for general television and so on. So many articles about that very thing that would be wonderful for them to live forever and just stop the time gene, maybe at the age of 25 or something, you know. So you'd be the peak of health and you'd never age. You would never come down with, with old age illnesses. Your eyes, in your eyesight should be as good at the age of 500 as it was when you're, when you, when you, you, when you actually hit 25 and they stopped the time clock, you know. What you're looking at is what a demon would want. To live forever in the physical world, isn't it? It's, that is its heaven. So you can toss things around all you want, and I don't mind tossing all these ideas around my head. I have no problem with them at all. I have no problem with folk who ridicule it either. I say, oh, he's a fanatic or a nutcase. I don't care what folk think about it. It's something you think about, isn't it? When you see the similarities, as I said before, things quiet like a duck and walk like a duck. It's generally a duck. So regardless of what you, how you want to define it, it is the same process that something is after for the same reasons, isn't it? Psychopathic, mental illness, demonology is so similar, isn't it? And so I wouldn't poo-poo things that, that easily if I were, were you. I really can't imagine the people who formed the Bolshevik slaughter teams that are well documented by themselves and by the orders put out by Lenin to these groups as being basically just pure, if, if that's what human is, you understand we're done for. If humans are, are, are the cold-blooded humanistic types of psychopaths, <laughs> call it that, yeah, that are atheistic, they have no, no 
problems, eating that God is dead, therefore everything that was impossible is now possible. Hmm? If that's what humans are, we're in big trouble. And the more you start to believe that, that, that that's, that is their sciences, you know, that, that is the sciences. Humanism is, a, is the, the new religion. It's a good thing. You better say, God help us, because nothing else will, because you'll go along with their terrible plans. I really mean that. The Bolsheviks, as I've said, were given instructions, just like Antifa, right? At the moment, you're actually seeing very carefully constructed um, Bolshevik techniques being used right now by design. It's not by accident. And Lenin said, he said, to get the, 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 the little farmers all on board here, to terrify them into submission and to give up all their crops and all their rights and their property and, and their religion <laughs> and to accept us as, as the dominant force of government. It, it, it says just go into little towns and villages, pick people who, who have more say or who are looked up to. They don't have to be wealthier even than the average peasant. Just pick them, a few of them, maybe five per village or more, and, and, and horribly execute them. And, and order that everybody must attend their execution. And what they did, they cut the intestines, the small intestines, the lower part where it touched, touched the large intestines, and brought it out of the abdomen, they would tie them to to posts in town and make the person walk round and round and round as it unraveled. This is is the truth, folks. I know it's unpleasant, but you understand something. Horror always repeats itself unless you're willing to look at horror in the face. Otherwise, you're not going to stop it happening again. And that's how they, and they watched them until the people just fell down dead. Horrible, terrible pain and horrible. And believe you me, that technique had everybody on their knees to communism very quickly. Horrible, isn't it? This, this isn't made up. This is, you can find the old writings, disclosed stuff from the old communist archives too, in the Soviet Union. And that's where humanism will get you, because there's nothing else to elevate humanity as something special. And regardless of what religion you're looking at, religion always appealed, especially to young people, when you're willing, you're not jaded with the, with the, 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 the drudgery or the, or the nastiness of everyday life by those who rule you. It wears you down. And you're optimistic, perhaps, because you're young and you feel great and you're healthy. You hope. But you, you do know that there's something beyond all of this. Every child goes through it. I think almost, almost every child goes through it. They used to. Where they look into areas that, that they were looked down upon by the general religions. But they would at least look into them and say, what if? And maybe it could be and blah, blah, blah. And you, you just know because your intuition uh, isn't just intuition at that stage. There's another element where you'd sit with your buddies, you know, and you'd start singing the same line of a song at this precise moment that a person would start singing out of the blue. Hadn't thought about it all day. It would just come out. Things like that. 
And then you look at each other and laugh. That That's so common when you're young. You, you, you're, unfortunately, with this system, it's knocked out of you so quickly by the system. Because it's, it's a clue there's something else beyond the basic 2 and 2 equals 4 here. There's another element to it. And, if you, and it's the same element that would guide you in to deeper truths to do with a belief system that accepts something called the supernatural. And it's a supernatural that, gave you, that, that, that accepted and gave you rights as a human being. A human being wasn't something that would just be slaughtered because you were in the way of progress. Like it is in an atheistic society. You understand? And humanism, there's no reason why an authority shouldn't eliminate you if you're in the way of anything. There's no morality there. Morality comes from your, your, your acceptance of something bigger than yourself. And if you accept something bigger than yourself that you are aware of, then you're aware that other, that this bigger thing gives the rights to other people as well, other humans as well. It's part of the affinity you have as a human being for others. Don't forget Julian Huxley. You should read what he wrote about for UNESCO in his speeches too. He mentioned them. What he talked about society. And, and how he says we will have to knock humanity off its pedestal as being a superior species on the planet with all of its rights in order to dominate and change society and, and guide it. Who's the we he's talking about here? Huh? This is the same guy that was a, a co-founder of Planned Parenthood. We shall have to do, we have knock us off. Well, once you're knocked off and, and they put, and they tell you and convince you through the countless TV programs, eh? With the furry animals, that you're just another furry animal. Maybe furry, if you're, any, if you're not bald. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And once you start to believe it, you, I'm sure you all know folk who went, and even in, maybe in college or school or, or even afterwards, went along with someone, oh, well, you know, we're just animals. And, and these same people, you know, would never be upset if someone was being abused by a system in their own or other countries. It wouldn't upset them. It's just so, because that's where you end up when you just, when you accept and you've come to conclude you're just an animal. Well, animals don't do this to other animals. What humans do. Just, don't forget. Animals. Generally, don't even kill other animals in a fight. And what they will fight about are very basic things, very basic things, mates, you know, for mating, uh, food. Very few, very few needs you see. But humans are not the same. We plan. We we can plan wars, wars that go to almost the level of extinction sometimes. Because we have a different brain. And we can, and we're awfully good, awfully good at finding, at creating things, machines of destruction 
Oh, but awfully good at that, eh? Oh, look at all these COVID ideas. Look what broke out of the, the information that broke out from all the labs, eh? But I, I was giving these talks years ago, but I said my, my biggest fear is not the atom bomb. It's the, it's the bio-warfare industry. And they really do think, have things which really could wipe us out. If they, the only reason they don't really give out their utter, their really lethal stuff is because they don't, they don't want to kill themselves either. <laughs> Even if they, if they have real vaccinations against them, which they actually have created, by the way, in the biolabs, you can't do one change uh, in um, gain of function from one part to the next to the next without having an antidote to each part of it. That's something they don't tell you in the media these days. Eh? They used to. That's the law. But they still don't trust it even for the elite themselves in case the thing did mutate afterwards and still killed them. So that's the only reason these things haven't been let loose en masse. They've been well tested in different places across Africa, I'm sure. That a lot, where a lot of them break out, supposed to just break out. Eh? <laughs> and can be awfully easily observed and contained and kept quiet often too through bribery. But the world, the world is a nasty place. Because the people who rule it, you have to ask yourself, are they really just, just people? Or are they, again, okay, you say, oh, fine, in an atheistic society, they're just atheistic humanists. They see no problem with, or not about a psychopathy there. And have no problem in eliminating enemies or focus standing in the way to get their big agendas through. Now, the studies on, on psychopaths also, as we understood, that when they rule societies, and they've taken it over even long ago through intermarriage, you know, conquerors would marry the daughters of conquerors, and, and then you end up with awfully good uh, psychopathic conquerors, right? But you end up with a, a, a materialistic system where you, where you elevate them up to be ultra-rich and you worship them, as, and then you've, you've got a, a massive media which they also own, that constantly praises them and say how wonderful it. most folk already worship the, the, the celebrities because not because they're any good at it, because they're rich they're stinking rich so you've been given a materialistic culture based on materialistic religion in a sense it becomes a religion and it's humanistic and and they're important you're, you're, you've been conditioned to see these people are important and as you go down the sliding scale to little old Jew, then you're not so important. You're getting the point here. It's quite easy to condition the public into that mode of being. I'm not so, I guess I'm not so important after all. And then your choices eventually when you're laid off from work and it's because it's all been given by the elite to China in the Far East. They end up on the street somewhere, hopefully in a warmer place because there'll be murder in the winter. Or you can take drugs and, and speed up their death that way, which they make sure is, are well supplied. You're living in an amazing system, you know. Look at the police forces of the world let loose upon people who might not want to wear a mask or they can't wear a mask. No, that does any It's got nothing to do with it working. Cops like to beat folk up who won't comply with the herd. It's a uniformity. You don't just wear uniform, you become uniform. It's a uniformity of society. So they don't like anything that doesn't comply. And when they're given permission to beat you up, they go with it with gusto, you know. 
some of the times they'll enjoy their work then. That's the kind that will go and apply for those kind of work. Especially today, they've been brought up in the same Xboxes as the generation that goes into the military, don't forget that. There's no moral questions in war games and Xboxes. It's just how many folk can you kill and can you win. That's it. End of that problem, right? But so, they'll, yeah, they'll get let loose on the folk where they won't wear a mask. And you can see what's happening. They'll strangle them. They'll beat them on the head. Just, I've got another video I'll put up a guy in a subway, I think it was. And he had, he said he had, like most of them have permission not to wear a mask because they've got bronchial problems and asthmas and different things. That makes no difference to these cops. Because you see, they pick on easy prey. These same cops won't go near a Black Lives Matter revolution across Britain and other countries that's got nothing to do with what happened in America. <laughs> it's getting used for other purposes, as you know. These cops won't know where to be seen. But they'll pick on some lone character in a subway and they'll jump on them and beat them up and damage them and that's okay. Or some woman in Australia, you see one where she's getting strangled, another one that was trying to organize an anti-mask and anti-lockdown movement, it busted her home and grabbed her and arrested her too. Another guy did the same thing too, who didn't go to the meeting, eventually tried to call it off and they busted his house with a battering ram. But when it came to the to, to other big <laughs> peaceful demonstrations, let's call it that way, nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen. What works through them? It's the same herd mentality. It's a crowd again. We don't jump on the easy victim. It's the same thing they say with a woman who who gets followed to be raped by somebody that rapists somehow sense the personality that they're after. Maybe, who knows, what the, maybe the way they walk or the something tells them they're not so confident. Or so, I've known what, I, I hadn't really studied it, but you, you'll see these different articles on, on studying the victim, what, what makes the people pick that particular one. And uh, right down to pheromones and things like that. And, but it's the same thing with with the crowd you'll see in Portland and um, Kenosha. You'll see these folk at night with skateboards too. They, you don't have these skateboards. You the guys that scout around looking for targets and things like that. And uh, they pick someone that's, that's easy to pick on. And immediately you'll see a bunch of them just moving in for the kill, you know. That's the, the, the cowards on their own. But it, it's it's a swarming that's what we call it swarming. But cops can do the same thing again on the general public when they're given permission, you see. So you have to really stand back and see what kind of world we're living in, what kind of world do we want right now, and what's running this world at the top, at the very top. You, you remember, and it's not laughable. I mean, for you, 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 there's no such thing as conspiracy theory when you have the facts that the media themselves, the same ones that make call you conspiracy theorists, come out with them and tell you about it. I can remember years ago when Prince Charles talked about being part of the Olympians. He was an Olympian, he said. Well, he wasn't talking about running a mile. Charlie couldn't run 10 yards. But... He's an Olympian. It's, it's a big group, a group of the, you know, the higher gods, the idea of the gods, back in the old cult. And Alistair Crowley's example where, and back in the ancient Hebrew 
where they could bring down a, a demon and use them for their own purposes. A god. They believed they were gods, you see. And that's still in, in the occult religions of today, the idea of bringing down gods for different reasons. The gods of just an air, fire, and water, and so on. It's god-specific gods for specific reasons. And, and, and uh, this, these are old, old religions. They really believe them. They don't believe there's any right and wrong, you understand. It's a matter of knowing the coding in Kabbalah and deep Kabbalah and it entered the really higher occults of demonology is, as I say, to call down the right kind of entities for the right kind of jobs and purposes to be used by you as a magician on other people. And, and, and they still have them through talismans today. If you go into Israel, you'll see certain, certain rabbis actually really are, are dedicated to this particular field. It's interesting. So much so that their, their rooms uh, are covered in talismans to protect them, just like any uh, magi in any area, in any religion, in any era. Your big fear is bringing, uh, having things come back on you by other magi that are opposing you, or maybe you've opposed them in the past. So you end up in a paranoid state, where you're terrified to just go to sleep, you see. But you do have the people at the top who join these elite clubs, and uh, they believe that they're, who knows what kind of ceremony a Charlie boy went through to come out as an Olympian, eh? Because all that idea of the Olympians were the gods up and, up and high, like the Zeus and so on, they looked down. You have Hera there, and they look down on the little people, and they'd use the little people beneath them as playthings or chess pieces. If we look into ancient times, we'll find there's always stories in religions and histories about those who seek immortality, generally from the upper crust, because they, they have a life of luxury. They, they love life more than most folk. They have much better health, generally, because the best food, they get best food and warmth and accommodation. Things are taken care of by managers on their behalf, basically. Uh, just like the modern ones, two multi-billionaires and trillionaires have estate managers and business managers. All the problems are dealt with for them. They don't have to worry their little heads and go get stressed out about things. So it's all done for them. So they love life more than most people, you see. And they have life extension. They don't get old age problems because they've advanced medical treatments for things for themselves. And they, more than anything else, they love life more than most folk who are beaten down and worn down with it, or sick as well. Uh, therefore, down through the ages, it's been kind of similar. Therefore, the, the elite, the ultra-elite, have always sought after immortality, and they have it written into stories and folklore and folk stories, and along with religions as well. So uh, it's still here today. So you can take the atheistic point of view, the humanistic point of view, that's just part of, of uh, human nature, to want that forever. But what I'm pointing out is, is, is there more to it or not? Because as a psychopath who really loves life, who's, who's riding high on the backs of everybody else, they love, they certainly do love life. They don't want to get off this planet here. And then you have other ideas to do with religion and, and demonology. I like to compare all these different things, regardless of what you want to believe or think about it. Shells look at all the different avenues that bring you to the same the same questions. As, as they're still doing the same today, aren't they? As they've been doing for thousands of years. 
by using us all for their own particular agendas, including, you know, Julian Huxley and uh, transhumanism. He came out with the term in his own writings at the time, and it's been copied ever since, merging themselves into, through all the sci-fi movies you've seen, merging themselves into the computer system, the internet system, like the lawnmower man. And even transferring their whole, their whole intellects, their whole awareness, their being with engrams in their, in their brains into computers. It's all the same agenda, isn't it? By the same kinds of people. And you have to ask yourself what really does drive them because they don't see themselves. I don't think they ever have seen themselves as a part of general society like Bertrand Russell and, and, and his ilk. And he said that, that eventually the elite will be pretty well a separate species from the rest of the population. And here we are. So take your pick what you want to think about it, but don't rule out anything at all. But that's the kind of characters you have. Then you have the guys like Bill Gates, who is so full of himself. What is in this man? What What is in this? We used to say in, in, in literature, what possesses a man, eh? It's maybe more, more to it than you think. But what makes him think he's got the right to, to reconstruct the world? And on whose behalf? Because he's, he's a front man too, in his own particular field. There are certain ones that are the front distributors of big money to different NGOs and other organizations and corporations. And he's one of them. He's a distributor mainly than anything else. And a promoter of one, one particular area for himself, which is Gavi and and vaccination, and he said quite openly in his talks that it would also help reduce the population by giving vaccines out. So, if you want to take vaccines, that this man's been had any any finger in stirring up the vaccine pot, Hubble bubble and toil and trouble. Well, good luck to you if you still believe it. What a terrible thing to do is, to, is, is, is just to go ahead and accept it. When he said it himself, eh? Mm-mm-mm. And yes, once again, I'll, I'll mention the articles that have been in the newspapers, and I had them up myself on my site years ago, and gave the talks in it when he and Oprah and a, and a bunch of them had, the, they called it, they nicknamed it the Lucky Gene Club as well, but they were there for eugenics, and they talked about overpopulation problems in the world. See, most ordinary folk would feel embarrassed about even going near a topic like that, if, if a group got together, just your, your friends and acquaintances, and you're just casually chatting about all kinds of things, and then, well, you know, there are too many folk in the world, you know. Well, what can be done about it? Well, you know, and then, but you'd always end up going back to square one where you just don't know what you could do about it, etc., etc. If you meet someone that says, well, I know what I'll do if I get any power, then you should really start to perk up and say, wait a minute, who are you? <laughs> And who gives you the right to decide, eh? Huh? Don't forget that Kissinger put that, that ruling through for that, that was a, not a bill as such, but it was a, it was something to do with the, the state of the nation. And he said, and he said at the time, he says, the greatest war, uh, fear we have, uh, the biggest enemy to the state is overpopulation. And he put the bill through. It was mainly aimed, we folk thought at the time, towards third world countries. And that included not feeding them. That's just a big, this is, I mean, eugenics comes up with these topics. It will bring you into these topics. If you even go near the topic, should you feed these folk or not? That's what he said. He says, because folk are starving isn't, is not in itself a good reason just to feed them. 
He was talking about not just overpopulation, but places like Bangladesh, which at that time were heavily influenced by communism. So his idea was if you feed them, you'll breed more communists. See? Everything's a weapon, isn't it? Everything you need is weapon. Like food, I need food, therefore. Okay, therefore, therefore. That's how it goes. And guys like him, who work for a different agency than you'll ever imagine, they're way above the CIA, at the top ranks of the CIA, just above it actually. Go off on tangents that they're nothing to do with helping you as a country. Folk, folk who are in the CIA and have been in it, never, never figured it out themselves on, on the middle and lower levels. As to why they've done so many things that did not benefit Americans. At all. So yeah, you're living in a, in a different system over you, but yeah, eugenics is a, an amazing field. When at the top, when you get rich folk who are awfully rich, who also belong to clubs that know that they have authority because they're so secretive, and it has everybody who's anybody in it that's got any kind of power at all in the financial area of the world, like the World Bank and the IMF and so on. And here they are discussing eugenics and ways to reduce the population. Well, when they say ways to reduce the population, they're including you all in it. I hope you understand. They're not saying, but they don't mean me. (laughs) Oh, yes, they do. And it isn't just about you having children. Because when you're saying, well, they don't mean me because you decided you don't have any children. No, you're a useless eater. They're they're eating and using up the Earth's resources. And they come out with all these different... um, um, equations is how much carbon you produce in your lifetime just by existing, little old you, eh? <laughs> These are the monsters. These are the same monsters, by the way, that sat back and, and, and helped create the Soviet system, the revolution that slaughtered millions in, in Russia. Right through its whole existence. The same people, uh, and it quickly goes through it, as one branch of it, the Council on Foreign Relations, the helper group, I'd say, and outer circular friends and so on. They were fascinated at the Royal Institute for International Affairs by the setting up. And when they called it the Milner Group at the time, that morphed in the, the you know, Royal Institute for International Affairs. But they were fascinated by observing it as a big experiment on a, a good part of that continent, this communist idea. Oh, let's slaughter all, all the folk who had any power, the middle class, and, and uh, just wipe them all out and replace them with a different middle class, as you know. And then wipe out stacks and stacks of farmers to create a famine. Uh, and then when folk are starving, you can dictate to them and they'll, do, they'll jump to wherever you, if, if you offered them any kind of food at all, they'll jump. That's what they did. But they studied them. And they, the Bolsheviks were financed. They, they, they trained them in, in America. They, they'd run America years before. These revolutionaries, what they called it the International Revolutionary Party. They, they had big meetings in New York City in the open air. Read the book. You can see the old photographs, yeah. And they were trained on, on standard oil property. It, 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 some of them is the warrior class, the fighters, the army, and then he sent them over to Russia and let them loose. And then observed it all. 
mass, mass slaughter. And they called it the second great experiment. The first was America. The second one was a different system. It was to be oh, a communistic system. And they studied them. And they, we fed them because they starved themselves. And we sent them clothing. And when the World Bank was up and running, it financed them for its entire existence. And we paid off a lot of their debt for its entire existence in the West with their taxes. Big experiment. How many millions of folk were slaughtered for this big experiment? Eh? Well, you better get through your heads. It's the same people and their descendants who run the Gates Group and the foundations, who run the World Economic Forum, who run the World Bank, the Bank for International Settlements, the IMF, the United Nations. It's the same group who own it all and run it all. And you're all part of the present big experiment as you go into the next technological post-industrial and post-consumerist society into austerity, forced austerity. You better start to understand what's really going on here. Because these people at the top of this lot, or even in the, even who are not at the top, like the Bill Gates, they're higher, much higher than you, but they have no problem dictating how they're going to, what they're going to do with you. And how you're going to be pincushions for vaccines by law, which they run, that they're claiming. Or you're not going to be allowed to, 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 to ever live in the same way again. You can't go out and out of your home. You can't go out and shop. You can't, you can't do anything. It's their way or no way. Huh? For the rest of your life, whatever, whatever kind of life you're going to have. And they're going to make you wear identity bracelets, electronic ones, if you won't go along with it. And if you've got a smartphone, then you've got to have it with you everywhere you go because it's going to have the same function of monitoring you all the time. Total spy network system. They mean what they say, folks. Who gave them this, this right? Who, who are they? These guys obviously believe that they are the gods. They can dictate to the rest of us. And they can either let your, your, your uniformed official cops like that, like Australia is doing, let them loose on the general public with full force. Or in the West, they might just use revolutionary groups of youngsters that, that are again the misfits, most of them, who they're getting paid to do it too a lot. The leaders are definitely the leaders are. They get paychecks for it at the NGOs at that level to get well paid the followers don't don't know although they're getting their unemployment money to go <laughs> right now it's quite astonishing but that's what they can use on the general public as they bring down America don't forget again where they want to bring America down too they published it all and so did Britain with their strategic think tanks for the military department Department, department of Defense they want to bring it down to the city-state, get rid of the nation. So there'll be a few city-states in America. Huh? Remember that? It's all gone through your years and out the other one again and gone, lost in a trail of exhaust or, or vapor. Vapor trail. How do you think they're going to get to that stage? Do you think they just imagine? Whatever they write in these programs, they plan it. And to plan it, it means you make it happen. 
the only thing is unthinkable because to you it's unthinkable. You would never do that. But these are the planners we're talking about. How would they get you to the same system? And I've mentioned it before. Isn't it odd that the Communist Manifesto has pretty well been completely, the planks of it, uh, fulfilled, eh? With the, starting off with the elimination of the family unit as an example. And then the, then the youngsters are, are owned by the state. The state gives them their value system, as Russell said, and others said too. Etc., etc., all the way down to eventually the withering away of the nation state. And that's exactly what the Royal Institute for International Affairs wanted, the Milner Group that, that ran the British Empire. Isn't it rather coincidental, do you think, eh? It's all the same endings that they have. Freemasonry, Albert Pike, the end of the family unit again, the end of private property. What a coincidence, eh? Hmm? End of private property for all you lot, but not for the elite at the very, very top. I always love that little statement by George Orwell, because it was only about utopias. I always give you utopias, you see, to get the, you go along with it. He says, some are more equal than others in such utopias. Well, that's always the way it's been. That's always the way it will be. Why should the ones who bring you carnage and destruction, for the good of all and the good of the people, not live better than you? That's the first thing they'll tell you. (laughs) And eat better than you, and so on and so on. Never ending. Remember again, cuttingthroughmatrix.com and send me a few bucks away before you forget. And these are long talks and I have one person or one person only. And I, I know what he means. He's in England. He says it's too long for him. I think he's, he's older maybe. But he said, he said that, uh, it's often harder for him to find out where he left off if he wants to continue the talk maybe the next day or something or later on that day. And I know what he means. But uh, the same token, these are emergency times. These are emergency broadcasts, in a sense. Because um, I always knew it would come to this. I always did. And as I said before, we're going through incredible history. This is more profound than even World War II, by the way, for the changes that that the system wants to, to make on itself on behalf of those who own it and rule it. And they're quite confident about it, until you all just stopped going along with it. They can't do it without, again, with the greatest con, you've got to participate in it all for your own destruction. Without it, they can't do it. 